When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The dream is made real. Ricky Howard rocks the world. How do you like it? How do you like it? I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over. Mamma mia. He's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. Uh. I'm delighted to welcome on to this episode of Ones to Watch, Season 4, Zaheya Al-Katani. Zaheya, thank you so much for coming on this episode, and it's going to be great to get to know you and get to know what you're all about. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. I feel excited. I want the viewers to know the story. Yeah, well, this is it. People may may know a little bit of your story, because obviously, as we go into the course of the episode, people are going to know and maybe remember you being on some of these big shows that we're going to get to talk about through the course of this interview. But I suppose this this show's all about getting to know you and getting to know where everything began for you. So I'd like you to take it right back to the beginning for the benefit of the listeners and, and just explain to, to myself and the listeners, where where did this story, where did this journey all begin for you? Well, essentially my introduction to boxing was quite quite a weird one i came to the uk at a young age i came to learn english with my family we came to study then when i came to study i remember we we started going to going to normal schools and while i was going to normal schools i, I was finding difficulties finding difficulties i was getting bullied a lot but my older brother was teaching me boxing at the same time at home so while i was learning boxing at home i was going to school and i was getting bullied i wasn't too sure what was happening i wasn't too sure they were bullied or they played rough so I was confused that obviously over a period of time, I started to defend myself and start to defend others. Then over time, I started getting into trouble with the teachers. Then the teachers one time got the police involved. Then my mother advised my brother to take me to the boxing gym. And eventually, that's what, what happened. Took me to the boxing gym. And I remember I was hitting a bag. And the first bag I hit was a speedboard. And that speedboard literally hit me back. Nearly broke my nose. I thought it literally broke my nose. And... Since then, I just stuck to it. I loved the sport. I remember my brother's famous word, him telling me, Black, in this sport, you will get rewarded 
to fight. You get rewarded for winning. I was like, what? Do I get rewarded to win? I'll get rewarded to fight? He's like, yes. Dude, I thought, wow, this is amazing. But I think this is mostly like a, a quick insight about it. That's it. And I suppose the questions I've got for you is more about that early, them early days, really. And, and, and obviously, you talked about the fact that you, you, you were sent over from Saudi Arabia. You came here. You came to London. I'd, I'd want to know like what, what that experience must have been like for you. That must have been really challenging for you to come over to a completely different country and then start to get to know certain areas of the world, certain areas of London. London's not got a very... It's got a lot of nice places, but it's got a lot, a lot of nasty places, as we know, as well, like everywhere. And it must have been really difficult for you from coming over at first. But just explain, what, what was that actually like for you? What were the feelings like when you first got told you were coming over and when you eventually came? Well, to be honest with you, we was excited. We was over the moon. We was like, wow, we're going to England. This is amazing. And I remember the first time we landed here, we took pictures of everything we saw. <laughs> We was like, we was amazed. We loved it. We saw Big Ben. And we saw everything. And everything just felt like, it felt like heaven, to be honest with you. Everything was amazing. It might, right now, obviously you're talking to me as a, as a South Londoner. I think, okay, it's a bit boring now. It's cold, <laughs> windy, and so on. It's horrible. But I remember when I came here, we loved the cold. We loved the, we loved the rain. We loved the weather. It was amazing. So over time coming here, we... We was exposed to racism in the start. Yeah, I remember, we, and that was something completely new to me. I did not know what was racism at the time because coming from Saudi, we don't have racism. There is really no racism at all, and I was so shocked that people was generally trying to bully me, trying to be difficult towards me, and mockery, mockery, mockery was my name, and I couldn't understand why was this, why was this happening, why was this. Why do people trying to mock me? And I remember the first few years, it was very difficult in school. I remember people were trying to rob my dinner money. I will be getting attacked from different kind of people. But all of this, in my mind, it was... It, I thought they were just playing rough. And me helping, giving them money to help them out with their life. I thought, I'm giving charity. But little did I know, these people were just natural bullies. Yeah. So I think I had, I had that very innocent mind frame in the start. Then over time, it was just... I think it just kicked in. I was like, that's enough. That is enough. I'm not having it no more. So I start really standing up for my own. And it must have been a difference in, in cultures as well, of course. Uh, you got, you're coming from Saudi Arabia, completely different culture, completely different way of life. You come over to, to, to London in particular. You know, London is one of the most multicultural cities in the world. And you come over and I, can, I can't imagine what it was like, to be honest with you, because I've not, I've not done it. So I couldn't even bear to imagine what you must have went through at that early stage. But the positive out of it was that, like you say, you went into the boxing gym for the first time and you talked about the story with the speedball. What was the experience like and the feelings again like when you first walked through the door, seeing all the other guys doing what they were doing in the gym? That's usually the smell's the first thing that hits you when you walk through a set of gym doors for a boxing gym. What, what was that like for you? My first my first encounter with the boxing gym was actually with my elder brother. My elder brother was training in a boxing gym that was in, that was in Tooting Broadway, right above the pub. And I remember I went there and I saw the I saw the rings, I saw the bags, and I saw people sparring. And I was I was just looking and thinking, wow, this is this this is my first time in a boxing gym. And I wanted to go to a boxing gym since that day. So I used to get my brother to train me to show me the basic, and I used to beg him. So eventually, when I got in trouble with the police, and they took me to the boxing gym, and I walked into the boxing gym. For me, it was like it was it was 
it was really beautiful. It was, I thought, I thought at home, I thought everyone's there. It sounds a bit weird because you see people getting punched, like getting beaten up in, in sparring, getting a black eye, bruised up, bleed, got bloody nose, but yet they're very happy. Is they were excited, they were cracking jokes, and it just felt it felt at home straight away in the first day. It felt at home. It felt I felt welcome because don't forget I came when I came from Saudi. It was old. It was desert. Yeah. So from the desert to greenery, it was a completely different kind of feeling. The gyms, everything was it was perfect. It's a home. Did you have any sort of amateur career to to speak of that you can let us know about? You know, experiences that you had where maybe you you travelled around the London area and, and did some of the regional or nationals. Do you know what? The, uh, a lot of people think because me, I'm coming from Saudi. They they forget the aspect that I re- I'm, I'm a boxer with a British box. With a British boxing pedigree, I grew up in the UK. My first amateur boxing club was the Fitzroy Lodge, the notorious Fitzroy Lodge. Yep. I had two to five fights from the uh, from Fitzroy Lodge. I lost five, one fifty. I fought for the the under twenty, under ten, and under twenty novices, winning both nationals. I remember I fought I fought both of them in Plymouth, in Portsmouth. Sorry, not Plymouth, Portsmouth. Uh, boxed with the Herringate, London ABAs. So I get I, I travelled. I travelled as an amateur, I experienced all kinds of styles, boxing different weights. So I think that's something that maybe, because you've obviously had a little bit of mainstream exposure already, maybe that's not been presented in, in, in that particular way, where obviously the fact that you're the first Saudi Arabian professional boxer is something that gets marketed quite a lot, of course, but you've actually got a really well-schooled amateur career and you've been in, like you say, one of the most famous amateur gyms in the country and you've been up and down competing in some of the most famous amateur tournaments as well so you've actually got a really extensive amateur background to go along with 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 all that with all that hype and obviously the, the stuff that you've done in the mainstream already so when people look at you they don't even realize that actually you've already got mm. all this experience behind you do you maybe think there's already this there's already this perception that you haven't got the experience you've got yes a lot, a lot of people tend to assume that I have not really boxed. I've, I'm just uh, all hype talk. But little did they know, I'm actually a Saudi with British pedigree, uh, a British pedigree boxing with a hint of Saudi into it. So I have my own style, but with a British pedigree, my foundation is solid. Amateur in the UK, especially in London, is much harder than anywhere else in the yeah. UK. If you box in London, you'll have excellent experience. Because see, when you box in London, for you to leave London to Boxing County and Sullivan National, it's, a, it's, the, it's the hardest part to get through, London. Once you get through London, that's it. Everything will be easy. So I was privileged enough to have the experience to box, travel around, have fight every kind of different kind of people, different styles, where from aggressor to a boxer to a technical fighter. I had it all as an amateur. So as a pro right now, a lot of people have not seen my potential and they haven't even seen my 50 percent of my full potential and this is what it's all about and, and obviously you've made that decision in 2017 after having an extensive amateur career to turn professional and you started out like most of the guys down london start out you start out and you start fighting on the smaller shows the small hall shows at the york hall and this is the sort of experience guys like yourself need to get yourself up to where you need to be so when you've walked in the ring for the first time in crystal palace 
against Yusuf Al-Hamidi. That was your professional debut. What was the experience like going from fighting in the amateurs, which is obviously a different style, going into the pros and fighting somebody with so much experience? Do you know what? When I decided to turn pro, is, is that I took a period of gap of two years or a year and a half of me not boxing because I had to complete my degree and my master degree due to the fact that my mother was pressuring me for me to complete my degree. So I had to really com- have some some form of something I can fall back onto if if my career don't go to plan. So I had to finish my degree. So when I finished and I decided to turn professional, I remember thinking about it. it was like, I, was, I was just so excited about the transition because as an amateur back then, you used to, we used to wear the head guards. So from going to wearing head guards to not wearing head guards, it was, it was a different thing. Especially getting your hand wrapped properly with a, a, a professional wrap. It was it was something it was different. So I remember thinking me boxing Yusuf Al Hamidi. It was I was excited because I wanted to prove something because I know and I knew Yusuf Hamidi B was anti crawler. Yeah, he beat him, and I was thinking, okay, I need to stop Yusuf Al Hamidi. So much so I dropped him on the last round. But I, it, it was it was something that I wanted to get into. It was exciting. It was it was a surreal feeling. And now, obviously, you've moved your career forward. You had your first four fights in the UK. And then the big moment has obviously come when you've been able to go back to Saudi Arabia on the World Boxing Super Series undercard, the final, which was between Callum Smith and George Groves. And you actually was able to go and box in Saudi Arabia in your home country and do it as a professional, the first professional in the sports history in Saudi Arabia. Now, that must have brought many emotions for you. Pressure probably being one of them because you being the first, but... Just talk us through the whole experience, everything that was leading up to it. So the moment you got the call to tell you, do you want to box on this show? Everything that yeah, everything that you went through in that moment. Well, as soon as I got the call and I was told I was boxing on the show, I tell you honestly, I put my I put my running kit on, I put my one kilo weight on, and I went for a long run. I was so excited because I could not even when I come back from my run, I had to do some press ups because I couldn't sleep. I remember after the finish of my training, I was lying in my bed, shadow boxing. I was like, "Oh my god, this is this is my dream." Because I always dreamt of, I always had a dream to box for Saudi, like to be in to box in my homeland, in my country, and let people. Because essentially, look, I'm from Saudi. I want my people to know there was a, a first Saudi boxer. Yeah. There was a Saudi boxer out there, and I wanted to know it was me. So, it, I was excited, and I remember when I landed in Saudi. And I had I had an excellent treatment in the airport. I was picked up, had a VIP a VIP treatment, picked me up from the airport, going to the hotel. But all of that was not it was not in my mind. I remember I had four opponents to pick from, and I remember I picked a guy that had thirty seven and nine losses. And my manager at the time asked me, Are "You sure you want this fight? this guy?" I was like, "Yes, yes, I want to fight this guy." He's like, "He's like, Are you sure?" I'm like, "Yeah, I want to fight this guy. I want to prove something. I want to prove something." So. I don't know what happened, but that guy couldn't make it. So we to, my manager picked another guy, which is named, I think, Mohammed Mahmoud. He picked Mohammed Mahmoud. And I just didn't care how tall he is, how big he was, how many fighters he had. I just wanted to get in the ring and just prove something. And I remember when the bell went, when the bell started, I was like, yes, now it's about time to show. Round one, round two, round three. I was just, I was in the zone. I felt like the feeling is surreal because... It's like an illusion. You're you're dreaming something. You're you you you're seeing something, but you're there. It, the dream is a reality, but it's a dream. And it's not the first time, of course, you've boxed 
in Jeddah, in Saudi Arabia, and not the the most infamous time either. Really, you've had a, a fantastic sort of uprise from the small hall boxer to a fighter that's now been given the early prestige because of the fact that you like you say we bang on about it and everyone bangs on about the fact that you're the first Saudi Arabian boxer but there's a good reason for it you're the first one and it's for whatever happens in history in a hundred years time you will always be the guy that was the first Saudi Arabian boxer hopefully absolutely hopefully you'll go on to be the first Saudi Arabian world champion and that will be an even amazing 100% amazing achievement to, to, to get there but going back to going back to where where your career went to from there obviously you went and fought in Dubai then you went back to Jeddah on the undercard of Amir Khan's fight with with Billy Dip over in Saudi Arabia again another another great card another opportunity for for various different fighters to get on that card over there and when you got again the call for that did you honestly think you'd get back there so quickly? No, I didn't think oh, it happened so quickly. I thought, okay, maybe I have to wait another few years. I'd have to become a world champion to get back there to do my to be in the ring to to be where I'm at. I didn't assume it'd be so quickly, but it, it it was like a dream come true again. It was like, wow, I'm there again. And a matter of fact, when I was there, I remember I was meant to box a, 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 some geezer from India. Yes, and that guy must have had an accident. Have an accident, so I may kind of have an opponent. So I remember I stepped forward and said, listen, I'll fight Khan. I'll fight me Khan. I'll fight me Khan in Saudi. And people will remember at the time, they're like, no, you're not a name. But I'm a Khan's not a name in Saudi. I'm a name in Saudi. I can bring this 20,000, 50,000 fans who come out to watch me fight. It's not a problem. And we obviously, we was trying to get some negotiation, but for whatever reason, that fight didn't get to go down. But still, it was, it, it was, it was good for me to be an undercard. Well, this is it. It's the exposure factor of it. The the exposure factor is always going to be massive for you in Saudi Arabia. Now is is the fact that you've had this these two opportunities, and we'll talk about the third one in a, in a moment. But them two opportunities at this point of your career is is what a lot of boxers would dream about getting, and you've been able to be in the privileged position to actually get that now. So it's amazing that you've you've had this 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 shift in your career, this trajectory going upwards, and and obviously being treated in in a certain way is fantastic. But do you feel? that it comes with a lot of responsibility and a lot of pressure as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. My shoulder, i got a lot of weights on my shoulder. My shoulders are actually very heavy. I, I'm, I'm not here to just to fight journeyman's or fight, get my record up. Really, right about now, in my mind state, not right now, but my mind state is this. For me to win a world title and to go up a weight to win another world title and to go up another weight to win another world title... I'm planning to end my career a super lightweight, win four world titles, and just just to set an example, set the bar high. Because right about now, I know everyone inside is looking up, looking to me, and not only in Saudi. To be honest with you, the whole Middle East. I'm talking about Saudi, Dubai, Qatar, Oman, UAE. I'm the I'm the first of them. I'm the first from the whole that region there. It's like the first Middle Eastern boxer out here, basically, is, is, is what you're saying. The first, sort of the first one from that sort of particular area, from that part of the Middle East, who's who's turned professional and is is on the trajectory upwards. You're like one of one of, if not the first to do it. And and one of the one of the things that I looked at when when looking into to your career, and the one thing that impressed me quite a lot was that you've you've said it already, but. Your career is not about fighting just journeymen now. You you want to push your career on. You want to. You don't want to wait around too long to to be taking too many of of these types of fights. Obviously, the last two fights you've had in in twenty nineteen, 
both of the opponents were undefeated opponents. So that speaks volumes to to where you want to go, and and that leads nicely on to to obviously the the last opponent, the last fight you had in December of 2019 on the undercard of Anthony Joshua's rematch with Andy Ruiz Jr. Now. Going from one one extreme to another, you started on the small hall circuit, and within eight fights, you're on the undercard of one of the biggest fighters in the world. Yeah, uh, that was beautiful as it is. But for me to win to to win a title, Middle Eastern Middle Eastern title, on on that bill, it was like his. There was like double history being made. The first event, the first heavyweight event to happen in Saudi, for me to win the Middle Eastern title in that event, it was just excitement. I can't. Till now, I find it difficult to explain the feeling. It must be difficult because you've gone, like I said, from one extreme to another. You, you've literally started <laughs> out on the the small hall, and a lot of fighters, as you know, would would fight, you know, for ten, twelve fights maybe before they'd even get an opportunity to even get anywhere near the TV. And within the space of four or five fights, you're you're over in Saudi. They're hyping you up, and quite rightly so as well. Quite rightly so. Let's not let's not beat around the bush with that. Quite rightly so that the your home country are backing you to the fullest, and you know that the next time you go over, there's going to be a lot of fans pulling for you because you are that you are that one. You are the one they're looking to 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 do something in, in this sport for them. And obviously, with a lot more boxing events taking place in Saudi now, it opens the door for a lot more opportunities. the The biggest talk at the moment in boxing in general is is one particular heavyweight fight is Fury versus Joshua. And the biggest yeah. the biggest aspect of that is that it's being spoke about as going to Saudi Arabia. Now that that would be huge. That would be huge for for the world. It'd be huge for Saudi Arabia. But for you as a fighter, surely there's surely there's a, there's a place on the card for you as as 100%. one of the big supports. Hundred percent. Because look, a lot of people might get angry that uh, Tyson and Joshua are fighting in Saudi. End of the day, you have to remember this. See, boxing, boxing is a it's a business overall. Yes. Besides being a sport, it's a business. It's not it's not about it's, there's no point you putting your life your life on the line for really for nothing. So Joshua and Saudi, Joshua and Fury in Saudi, that is perfect. And to for me to be on that undercard on that bill, it'll even be more perfect because on that fight there on that bill. It's the biggest. It's the biggest. I say heavyweight fight in a, in a decade. I say, for me, to be on that bill to make something because I guarantee you, while I'm on that bill, something will happen. It's either a, a title, some form of title is going to be there, or something that's going to elevate my status to the world rank, to world to be recognized world ranking. I'm talking to top ten, or even minimum. I'm talking top fifty in the world. Would something be big? Something be big. I. We've been ready, been negotiating. We've got plans. We've got goals. During this lockdown, we've been planning a strategic move. What's our move? What what do we need to go? And what what do we need to do? I understand, and and that makes sense. And I suppose that leads nicely into this aspect of our conversation. Really, is we know where you are. We know where you've come from, but. Where are you going? There's so there's only so much you obviously you can tell me because there's a lot going on in the background. I appreciate that, but in in your mind, ideally, where are you going? Where is this career going to take you? World title, honestly, world title. To be honest with you, see now boxing. A lot of people talk about boxing. Like the top the top four fighters are my weight right. Now. Top five fighters are my weight right now. People are talk about. Obviously, in my perspective, Tefina Lopez is the king, the lightweight king. 
Yep. There's no one else. You've got, you've got Devin Haney, you've got Javante Davis, you've got Lomachenko, and you've got Ryan Garcia. In my opinion, I do not respect Ryan Garcia being in that page there. I hate, I find it so annoying. I know he's a good boxer, but I find it so annoying. Yeah? So I need to be around that list. I want to make that list. I want to be, I want to be able to fight one of those guys in my future plan. Fight one of those guys. Beat one of those guys. And once I beat one of those guys, that's it. History will be rewritten again. You remember when Pacquiao fought Ricky Hatton? Yep. They both had an army to come with them. They both had armies from Philippines, from England, armies to come with them to watch, watch this fight. So with me, I believe if I get this big fight to fight one of those one of those five guys, I'm going to have two armies that come with me. I'm going to have my South London army and my Saudi army is going to come down with me. So the whole of you, for me, it's my goal, my main goal to get there, to, have, to bring thousands of people to watch me fight. Have fathers have a massive arena to fight one of those five guys. This is the final plan of the year this year to achieve something high. To either challenge these guys or fight these guys in this year. People might listen to our interview and think, hang on a minute, you know, this guy's shooting for the stars really quickly here. But the, to be fair, we've talked about the sort of scale and the magnitude of what sort of support you have behind you. At this stage of your career, you've already got a plan in place as to how you're going to get there. You're looking to get there pretty quick. You're not looking to take easy fights. You said you're looking to take fights with people that are going to establish you further up them rankings so that when you do get an opportunity, you might well possibly be in with a shout to fight one of them particular big names. People will listen to it and think, well, hang on a minute, he's, he's, he's only had this many fights. But People are going to always have comments about stuff like this, but when you've got that many people supporting you, a whole country supporting you, being given the opportunity to fight on huge bills like you have been done and potentially will be, surely that's going to be the biggest part of it all because the business side of it, as you rightly pointed out, is what speaks volumes in the sport more than the sport itself. Ironically enough, the business the business side of things is... Listen, we've got YouTubers, we've got YouTubers fighting right now, YouTubers, which I find offensive to the sport, the sport I love at. I love boxing so much uh, that I find I find it so annoying that there are YouTubers who come out of nowhere who f- getting big undercards to fight nobody. Like literally, they're nobodies. They're fighting each other. But for YouTubers, me as a boxer, I've taken the sport serious with my whole heart. I love this sport fully. This what Canelo says: boxing is my life. Boxing is my life. Uh, for me to have a country waiting on me to make history, this is this is for me. This is the what's the word I'm looking for? This is the goal. This is the goal. I don't want to be just be that boxer, the first boxer. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be recognized as that. I don't want to be a Middle Eastern champion to be recognized for the rest of my life. Yeah. I don't want to be the first Asian champion. No. I don't want to win an Asian title. On, that's it. No, I don't want to stop there. I want to win four titles, get four world titles, set the bar high. This is my dream. This is my goal. And I got the backing for it. So why, why sit in the sideline and trying to hope for something that's that's not realistic. You know, you have to aim for the, really say you aim for the moon. If you fall, you fall on the stars. Yeah. Or you aim for the stars, you fall on the moon. Whatever way, which way is right. But you have to aim high. You have to have goals. You have to have visions. I'm not in this sport just to have one, two fights or have 20 fights fight nobody. I'm not trying to do that. I want to look back at my resume when I'm when it's all done and dusted. I want to say, see, look at my resume. Look at the guys I fought. Look at the guys I beat. Look how I ranked. Look how I won. Look how I've achieved. Because the new generation are, are going to look at me. 
they're gonna they're gonna see where I come from, and I I was not given a silver spoon. A lot of people might mistake and come from Saudi and so on. No, I have I had to go. I had to work my the hard way up. I had to get the hard way in. I had to sell tickets. I remember I had to beg people to buy tickets. I used to go jogging and sell tickets while I'm jogging. I really did it. And that's that's the aspect of it that people might not appreciate about you is now now when listening to this interview, when people listen back to it, they actually realise that you're not just a hyped up Saudi Arabian professional boxer. You're actually a guy who's got a lot of goals, a lot of ambitions, a lot of dreams, but has also started in the same position as pretty much every other professional fighter that, that comes out of the UK. You've done it that way. You've started the hard way. You've done your amateur career. You've gone to regionals, nationals. You've fought probably some of the guys that have gone on to turn professional. I can certainly imagine that. And then you've also got this opportunity now in the same sense is that you've got a country backing you. You've got a country that wants to see a professional world champion in the sport and they're going to go hell for leather and they're going to try and put everything behind that one individual. Fortunately, that one individual is you and you've got a wonderful opportunity to, to, to move forward with your career. And we, it's been great to cover the, the boxing aspect of your career and talk all about that. But I'd like to know a couple of other bits about you, really. I don't think it's all just about talking about what you're planning to do in the ring, what we've talked about mostly in the episode. What what actually do you get up to aside from boxing and, and, and literally just boxing, boxing, boxing? What else do you do? You said you did a degree. What was your degree in? And is there any backup plans should you decide to end your career early or decide to get to the pinnacle of the sport and then move on in life and do something different? Well, I'm a I'm a I'm a graduate civil engineer, postgraduate structural engineer, but I, I I do enjoy building and so on. But I think my whole passion is boxing. So I think if my once my career is done and dusted as a boxer, I'll be involved in boxing. I'll be involved in boxing some somehow some way. I I want this I want this spark in the Middle East not to go off. I want to constantly work on the spark, turn it to a blaze, turn it to a fire in the whole Middle East because I want to be able to inspire the new generation. Because if you look at the Middle East realistically right now, the one thing they suffer with mostly is obesity. Yeah. Obesity. They they they're actually probably the first first or second major buyers of cigarettes. They love smoking cigarettes. So I'm trying to create a new image, a healthy mind, a healthy body. Brings I want I want boxing to grow in the Middle East because the main sport in the Middle East right now is football. Like really, uh, for me, this is this is again another thing that I want to do. I really want to win a world title. Reason being, there is no Middle Eastern football club has ever won a World Cup. So for me to win a title, a world title, that will just put just hold it up. Look, guys, we we won we won something. We won a title. So my plan is to hopefully get involved, maybe somehow in boxing, whether it's promotion management running a gym or something. Do you think that you doing what you're doing now and the pressure it puts on you, do you think that it will eventually light, light the flame to what could be uh, a huge rise for the sport in, in Saudi Arabia in particular? Absolutely. I'm, I'm getting I'm getting so much messages. To be honest with you, I, probably after, I think after my fight, I had probably around 500 messages. Wow. I had so much messages. It's, t- it's probably taken me a whole year to go through all the messages. And literally, I remember reading, look, reading them going through people to, through people's profile, checking them. They're all little kids. So many little kids are inspired to box. All asking how do I box? People send me video of themselves shadow boxing. 
me giving advice over over Instagram, like, no, don't box like this, fix your feet, keep your hand high, don't hook like this. Literally, my whole conversations like this with them. So, once I get to that level, the the spark would have really continued. It's going to be an eventful journey, one that I'm sure everybody in Saudi Arabia is going to be looking forward to. I'm looking forward to it, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of UK fans that are going to be looking forward to this as well. And I think this is this has been the whole point of us having this conversation today is really about letting people get to know you for you and, and what you do inside and outside of the sport and what your plans are, your ambitions, your goals, everything that you, you look to try and achieve. And it's it's really good to hear what you're you're planning to do in that there is there is something after the sport. You know, there is a there is a plan for you after the sport. There's always going to be something that inspires you to, to move forward. So it's been it's been a pleasure. You, you just have to be, you have to you have to prepare yourself. But to be honest with you, I don't want it only sound like I'm just only focusing Saudi or so on. As much as I am Saudi, I'm a Londoner. I'm a London as it is. I'm really, I want to cause a drive as well here. I want people to know, yes, where you come from, things might be difficult, but there's always a way out. There's an attempt, there's a way, there's something will come up. You have to find, you have to find a way, you have to find what you're good at and something will come up of whatever difficult situation you're in. So, again, when I say Saudi, I don't only mean just Saudi, I mean London with it. Of course. Yeah, no, it's and I I know I get what you're saying, and I think a lot of people will understand that as well. But obviously, I think it's because of the focus has been they've been talking about you for Saudi professional boxer rather than sort of saying multinational professional boxer, someone who who's basically bred bred themselves and their pedigree. You said it yourself, rightly, British yeah. pedigree, because you did your 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 time as as a an amateur over here in the UK. You've done your, some of your professional career over here. You've you done some over in Saudi. I I imagine you'll do something back in Saudi. You might come back here and do a big show here. It's it's exciting, really, that you've got this aspect that you've got the support from not just the UK. You've got it from Saudi, and you've got a lot of people behind you locally that are going to want to see you do well. But again, you're also inspiring different generations of people from from Saudi Arabia to to London, and there's some really tough parts of London, as I said earlier in the episode. And we know that sometimes a sport like this is a way to get out. Of, of that rut and get out of a position that you might have found yourself in and it's great to hear you talk about it in that way and, and know that people like you out there not just a boxer but you, you're a guy that people can turn to and go you know what this is a guy who i can take advice from who's an inspiration to me absolutely absolutely london's a difficult place and difficult environment and those who know london knows whatever environment you grow in might lead you to a wrong path for the rest of your life it might ruin your whole life so I really want people to know the journey I've taken. Although, again, I said I come from Saudi and so on. Yeah, I might be Saudi bloodline and so on, Saudi descent. But realistically, I've I know the difficult parts. I know the difficult life. I know how it comes. And boxing really, realistically, saved my life, helped my life, guided my life, built so much. So, I I was lucky enough to be Saudi, and I was lucky enough because I remember when I was an amateur. I, I wanted to look in the history books. I wanted to see if there any Saudi boxer or anyone from Saudi that has won an Olympic medal or got got to a world title or something. And there was no one. So it was upon me to make that path, to make that journey go on. 
and this is why I've stuck to it and I've continued and that has opened many doors and this is the same thing this is the same advice I give to many people have a goal have a journey pursue that journey and many doors will open up for you so if people want to follow your journey they they want to even message you maybe if you get get the opportunity to speak to you over social media where can they find you where can they access your social media accounts to follow this journey that you're on well, I'm I'm very active on Instagram and Twitter. So my both of my name is Zuhair Al Ghatani. Uh, I might have to spell it out for them because it's it's quite difficult. So uh, I don't know, Sean. You can put maybe you can put it up put it up for them. Absolutely, I'll put, I'll, I'll, I'll put it up for them, yeah, 100%. We'll get it up there. Zuhair Alakatani, you can find yourself on, on Instagram, Twitter, in particular, yeah, the social media channels that you use. They're the best places to go and see that journey that you're on uh, and, and look forward to it. And it's been a pleasure to get you on. I'm really happy that we've had the opportunity to to discuss your life, discuss where it all began, discuss the journey, the amateur scene, knowing a lot more about where you've where you've built this career that you've got, and then of course all those wonderful nights that you've already experienced, and talking about what potential future wonderful nights you could be having. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely, thank you for having me, and I just want to give a message to the audience. I want to tell them, look, it doesn't matter where you are right now or where you start; it's where you plan to go. And that's the end goal. Where you plan to go will set your whole life forever. It will change everything for you. It will build everything. Your dreams can be so big. Dream as big as you want. Don't let no one restrict your dreams. Believe it. Literally believe it and you'll see it. I believed it and I, I've literally come across it and I've, saw, I've seen it. Who knew I'll be in the back room with Anthony Joshua. I'll be sitting with Andy Ruiz cracking jokes for literally half an hour. Me and him together. He's got my number. Who knew that was going to happen years back? No one knows what the future holds. You just have to believe in it. Stick to it and follow it. Know where you're going to go and make sure you dream so big that everyone around you don't believe how, how big your dream is. This is my last message to the audience. And it's been an absolutely fantastic pleasure. A great message. Thank you so much for coming on. And we'll look forward to seeing your journey. Thank you. Thank you again for having me. I love it. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.